Hey everybody, Bad Audio Michael here, here to tell you you're listening to part three of a series of podcasts on Fallout. This is the final episode in the series. Uh, we had to split up the second part of this into two distinct episodes, so we're going to be starting in media res, essentially. Uh, if you want to get the full story, I suggest going to ftp.podbean.com and listening to parts one and two. But uh, if you only wish to hear about Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 4, feel free to keep listening. And with that, on with the show. I think we should talk about the one thing about this game that was solid from the beginning and talk about the plot of Fallout New Vegas. So the plot of Fallout New Vegas takes place back in California. Um, it takes place technically a few years after Fallout 3, but the events of Fallout 3 essentially don't matter. This is mm-hmm. literally a continuation of Fallout 2 in many mm-hmm. ways. It takes place in Nevada and a little bit of California as well mm-hmm. as you, the player character, traverse the Mojave Wasteland. Now, the Mojave Wasteland is interesting in the sense that unlike New Vegas, not, not, I'm sorry, not unlike New Vegas, unlike the Capital Wasteland, it's not like an irradiated hellhole. Right. Like, nature is rebuilt in many ways. Like, there are, like, cactuses. There's, like, it, it's a desert setting, but it, it's a desert setting that looks like, it actually would look like something if you just went to Nevada and just kind of hung out right. for a bit. Like it doesn't. It there are certain parts of it that doesn't look like the bombs fell at all. Mm-hmm. Now the background for this game is that the NCR has been continuing to expand and are starting to move their way into the New Vegas area. Las Vegas itself is mostly intact, um, and while it's now called New Vegas, it still has much of the same trappings as the Las Vegas of the old. Uh-huh. Ton of gambling, ton of debauchery, and a ton of fun if you have the money to spend. So just no one bothered to hit Vegas with the nukes. Well, we'll get into that in a bit. Okay. So the reason, a big reason why they're expanding into the Mojave Wasteland is not only because the relatively intact Vegas, but also because the Hoover Dam itself is intact and mm. in working order. Hmm. So with that, they now have a source of clean energy that they can tap in and send back to the new California Republic. So it's a very high-value target. Right. The problem is, is that while the NCR is very big, very powerful— and in a way, like, kind of similar to, like, 1930s America, like, not quite on the cusp of being a superpower, but pretty damn close. They are, at this point, very overextended. Something that is a bit of a problem, because they have run into a band of, of tribals that have come together under the old Roman ideals by the name of Caesar's Legion. Huh. We'll get into Caesar's Legion and, like, what their deal is in a, in a bit. But, to, but in short, they are actively fighting a war with the NCR. And the NCR is barely holding it together against them, mostly because their supply lines are just so drawn out at this point because of their rapid expansion. Mm-hmm. Now, if, had, they be, had they been any closer to California proper, they probably would be able to crush them. And, and, but unfortunately, they can't really retreat because they need the dam and the power that it can provide. Right. So they're kind of in this awful no-win situation. And, in, and speaking of people who are in a no-win situation, the people of the Mojave Wasteland who are being forcibly annexed into the NCR really aren't particularly happy about that. 
They're also not happy with Caesar's Legion because they have a tendency to more or less murder everybody who gets in their way. Right. So they're sort of stuck in the middle, just kind of hoping that things don't go bad for them when finally the fighting boils over and the war really kicks off in earnest. Now, it's during this time that you, the unnamed courier, ends up waking up after being knocked out by a man in a checkerboard suit surrounded by two guys in leather jackets. This man, whose name is Benny, and played by Matthew Perry, in what may be the best use of Matthew Perry I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> homages the player and tells him, hey, you know, it's too bad that you're carrying this thing. And he pulls out this chip called the Platinum Chip. He's like, yeah, pretty important thing. You know, too bad he happened to be the one carrying it. And he tells him, it's kind of too bad. Game was rigged from the start. Mm-hmm. Shoots you in the head and buries you in an unmarked grave. And that's where the game begins. With you being dug out of the grave and immediately patched up by a doctor by the name of Doc Mitchell in the town of Good Springs. Now, from there, of course, you decide all your stats and whatnot. And you immediately are like, I need to get this ship back and murder this asshole, Benny. Upon exiting, you're confronted by this machine called a Circuitron, which is basically a big boxy machine with a TV screen on its face, rolling around on like it's just a single wheel. It calls itself Victor. Like it has a picture of like a cowboy and speaks in like cowboy talks, like, oh howdy, partner. Are you looking for that <laughs> Benny guy? Oh yeah, I heard he's a real cow hooting sort of dude. <laughs> you should probably head south. I heard he was a spot in this town called Nipton. And so he directs you south and whatnot. Now, Fallout 3 had this kind of problem where the game was a little bit on rails in certain points. Like, you can kind of <laughs> skip, like, uh, certain story beats if you wanted to. But for the most part, you had to kind of do things the way the game wanted you to do. Right. Uh, New Vegas is definitely not like that. <laughs> you can kind of do any things in the way you want to. Like, the game warns you, like, don't head north. There's a bunch of death claws up there, and they will murder you. Right. And they will. You can totally head north and just head straight to Vegas if you want to. Or you can take the safe route, which is what we're going to do, and head south and kind of check things out. But eventually you do arrive in the town of Nipton, and you see that it's completely on fire. And also, those powder gangs you met earlier are also there along with the townsfolks, but they're kind of lashed to crosses and being crucified. Ooh. And this is when you first run into the troops of Caesar's Legion. Mm. So, once again, we're not going to quite get to Caesar's Legion yet until we meet Caesar proper, but... The thing you need to know about them right now is that they wear, like, basically football pads as their main armor. Uh, They typically are adorned with, like, animal skins as well. Mm -hmm. Like, this person you meet, whose name is uh, uh, Volpez, he is one of their fumatari, which is basically one of their scouts. And he's like, yeah, we just wanted to teach these people a lesson to teach them that they should never side with the NCR. And so if they feel like you, you are somebody who is going to be against them, they will literally kill all but about 10% of your population, uh. <laughs> enslave the rest of them, and then maybe take a few of soldiers. And we'll get more into the recruiting habits once again once we get to Caesar's Legion proper. But he basically tells them, like, hey, we're going to let you go because we want you to spread the word of our terror. But if we do find you again, we will murder you. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. So you're like, oh, shit. So like, you, you can tell the NCR about this, and they're like, oh, man, they're getting that close and whatnot because they're they're technically over like the far uh, far east part of Nevada and are just like slowly building their forces and whatnot. So they're like, oh, they're already starting to make incursions. This seems like really bad. The battle must be coming soon. Mm-hmm. So eventually you kind of like make your way up to this city called Boulder City, uh, which was the site of a great battle between uh, the NCR and Legion. And like you meet up with the two guys who are hanging out with Benny and you find out that Benny basically betrayed him. Ah. You also find out these two people are part of a tribe called the Great Cons, who are 
a tribe that was actually part of the original fallout games mm-hmm. uh, they were at one point very powerful they're basically a biker gang uh, crossed with like mongol philosophy okay sure <laughs> yeah yeah it's literally they got a book about the mongols and went they seem rad <laughs> yeah they used to be very powerful but the ncr pushed them out and um like they're trying to like help out um benny at one the he promised them to like help him fight against the ncr but then once he got what he needed he immediately betrayed him and just ran off so you learn what's going on from them, and you can like help resolve a standoff between them and the NCR. But regardless, you're told to go to Vegas, to go to the Tops Casino, because it turns out Benny is the head of a group called the Chairman, which is a literally a tribe that's been put in charge of a casino by this mysterious man by the name of Mr. House. Okay. So you go to Vegas. Um, you can get in there with, like various methods, either having enough money, um, tricking the Securitrons, or like joining the NCR and taking a monorail there. And like... You end up going into the Tops Casino. Uh, you meet up with Benny. And you like meet up with Benny there, and like he'll be like, "Oh sh, how are you alive?" You shoot me in the head. <laughs> and from there, you have like a ton of choices what you can do. Like you can either just murder him there, take the platinum chip, which uh, will also cause all the chairmen in the casino to try to murder you. Mm, you can also like try to talk to him, like get answers, which he'll then immediately betray you and just like run off and like run and go into hiding. Uh-huh. Um, you can also sleep with him as well. Okay. Which he's Does that like, work? Um, it doesn't work in getting the platinum chip, but you don't get murdered. Okay. Um, he's like also very confused. He's like, you know, I, I shot you, right? <laughs> Are you cool? Okay. Bulls yeah. do weird things to brains, I guess. Everyone has their thing. Yeah, but the point is he ends up running off and nobody knows where he went. Except for one man. So our friend Victor rolls up and he's like, how to partner? Oh, you find the guy here. And like, you've been seeing Victor like throughout your travels to Vegas and whatnot. Right. And like, it's very clear that he's working for somebody and that person is Mr. House. And he's like, you should go to the Lucky 38 Casino and go and see Mr. House. By the way, you're going to be the first person to go in there in 200 years. Isn't that crazy? And like, you hear from all the people in Vegas, it's like, man, yeah, the Lucky 38 is the only casino that's never opened up. Hmm. And then so like you walk in, there's like a big deal. And so you go in there and you go up to the top floor and you're greeted by this giant television screen that flashes on its screen on and a picture of an old pre-war man or old in the sense of like it's like an old timey photo. Right. He's basically like a well-kept 50 year old man with like short black hair, a pencil thin mustache, and his name is Robert Edwin House. So yeah, good old Robert Edwin House. So Mr. House is the president and CEO of Robco Industries, basically a conglomerate that existed before the Great War that was basically the people who made any decent robot or computer. Uh, He is kind of a cross between Tony Stark and Howard Hughes. Okay. And he is, as you kind of imagine, incredibly, incredibly full of himself. And also, somehow still alive, despite the fact that, you know, he should be well over 200 years. Mm-hmm. So, he is like, hey, I'm um, pretty impressed you made it this far. Pretty glad that I ordered uh, Victor to kind of dig you out of that grave and whatnot. Really didn't expect you to make it this far, but I, since you did, I know I can definitely trust you. So, what I need you to do is I need you to get that platinum chip, because that chip was supposed to be delivered to me, and you're the courier who was ordered to do that, so... It's only right that you get this ship and make sure I get it because that's fulfilling your job. Okay. And if you do that, great things are going to happen, and I'm going to let you in on this because, once again, I can clearly tell you're a man who knows how to get things done. 
By the way, I know where Benny went. He went to this place called the Fort, which is where the main forces of Caesar's Legion are forming up for their big attack on the Hoover Dam. Turns out that um, House has something involved with the Lucky 38 there that requires the Platinum Chip, and then the Legion just sort of decided to squat on top of it. Now, Benny had learned about that himself um, through means that we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. And so he tried to sneak in there, and, he, and Dr. House, Dr. House, geez, Mr. House is like, first off, I already know Benny's going to get caught because he's an idiot. Right. Two, I think you'll be able to get in there because I bet you something good's going to happen now that you've watched this Lucky 38. People are going to know you're important. And so you kind of have no choice to agree to this, whether or not to agree to this because that platinum ship is clearly important. And also, you kind of want to murder Benny. Mm-hmm. Or if you slept with him, I guess, I don't know, see him again? Mm. Yeah. So the second you exit the Lucky 38, our good old friend Volpes shows up. He's like, oh, hey, yeah, you look like you're pretty important. So my leader, Kaisar, wants to see you. You will be given safe passage to the fort, despite the fact you're a profligate. You must go quickly, though. Also, if you have committed any crimes against the Legion, such as murdering all the Legion, which is Uh usually what I do. Right. He's also like, your crimes will also be forgiven. You should consider this a great honor. (laughs) So it's like, huh, all right, I guess I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, during this time, the NCR will also get in contact with you. It's like, wow, you went to the Lucky 38? You seem important. You, you want to join us? Okay. So, and finally, you also learn exactly how Benny figured out that uh, Mr. House uh, had something important at the fort. It turns out he kind of stole a Securitron and hacked it uh, mm. and, and created a, a machine called Yes Man, a machine <laughs> that, first off, can never lie. And was and will always agree with whatever you say. Problem is, he didn't make it just specific to him. So when, uh, when you find Yes Man, he literally divulges all of Benny's plans. He's like, uh, "Boy, Benny's not very smart, is he?" He's like, <laughs> "You're quite correct, Yes Man." <laughs> yes Man is hilarious because like he would do things in the game that like clearly um, are of no benefit to you. He's like, "Boy, that seems like a really terrible idea, but I guess you're the boss. You must know what you're doing." <laughs> My predictions are ninety percent. There's a 90% chance this is going to bite you in the ass, but whatever. (laughs) So you go to the fort, and it's here that you walk up into the main tent, and you meet our boy, Caesar. Oh, man, the big bad. Now, before we talk a little bit about Caesar, everybody in the Legion talks very stilted and very, like, formal. Right. And, you know, they talk about, you know, their Kaisar. And how these profligates will be cleansed, and we will make sure they know the true power of the Legion. They're very, very formal sort of people, though, in their own special way. Mm-hmm. Caesar is not. Hmm. Caesar's first thing he's going to do is that you stand before the, the mighty Kaiser, and he'll list off all the crimes you did. And by the way, you could do a lot of things before you get here. <laughs> and so he's like, you messed up my relationship with the great cons. You exposed our mole. You did all these things. You should know that I would have let people kill for lesser, and yet you stand before me. What were you thinking? Which is like, good point. Well made. <laughs> but then he follows that up with like, ah, relax. I'm just fucking with you. Like, he literally says that. Nice. And you immediately kind of get the idea, okay, he maybe doesn't believe all the same bullshit the rest of these people do. Right. So, Caesar, let's talk about him. Caesar's name originally was Edward Sallow. Now, good old Edward 
before he became the Mighty Kaisar, was a member of a group called the Followers of the Apocalypse. Now, this is a faction that's existed all the way back since, like, I believe the very first Fallout game. Uh-huh. But we haven't really talked about them because they're just not really that relevant until now. But in short, they're basically, what if the Brotherhood is steel, but not assholes? Mm. Their big thing is, like, um, preserving pre-war technology, but then learning from it and then teaching people how to use it. Right. And then deriving, like, even better methods from it. So, like, better farming. Uh, they're big about missionary work and going out and, like, to tribes and, like, teaching them, like, here, how's, here's how to effectively grow crops or purify water or build simple machines, do things like this. Like, they want to rebuild society, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because of this, they actually have a lot of overlap with Mormons. Um, a lot of Mormons in Utah ended up surviving the war and end up joining the followers because they end also doing the same sort of missionary work, oddly enough. Huh. Yeah, um, there's a very big Mormon connection in this game in, w- in ways that are going to bleed over into real life in a really strange <laughs> way. So Caesar ends up coming out there with two other followers of the apocalypse, um, a man by the name of Joshua Graham and another by the name of Bill Calhoun. So they get there and they are immediately captured by this tribe and are going to be executed. Except another tribe uh, shows up and is going to murder this, this tribe that's captured that's, uh, that's weaker. So Caesar, seeing that these people have no idea what they're doing, are like, hey, what if I teach you how to, like, fight? <laughs> and you're like, oh, you can do that? I'm like, yeah, no, let me tell you about it. And so, like, he teaches them how to fight, and they end up murdering this other tribe and subjugating them. And so because of that, they immediately appoint Edward as their leader. And so Caesar, knowing his history, was like, you know, what if I adapt a bunch of things from ancient Rome and just kind of use that to kind of create more of a cult of personality around me and kind of continue doing this? Mm-hmm. Because you see, Caesar is a very pragmatic person who really doesn't believe in the followers at all. Right. He thinks what the followers is doing is theoretically good, but ultimately is just going to repeat the same mistakes that humanity did. He mm. also thinks the NCR is doing the exact same thing as well. So his big thing is like, I think the only way that humanity can survive is if we all unite under a very sort of nationalistic sort of bent. The mm-hmm. idea of having a strong man that is just center of everything, and we just kind of push forward from that. There is no individual value. There is no individual. There is only the state. People are only exist for the utility to the state, whether that's instrument of war, of production, of reproduction, whatever it is. Right. So because of that, his thoughts are... Only the men are valuable, and they're only valuable for war. The women are not valuable, and what little value they have are either as handmaidens or literally to just give birth to the next generation. Mm-hmm. On top of that, modern medicine and other modern means only exist to make people weak. People got weak from that, and eventually technology is what destroyed everybody. Ergo, we should not do things like have modern medicine. and. So because of that, and he also, he also uses the ignorance of his followers to claim that not only he's like the reborn Caesar, but he's also the son of Mars, the god of war, and that Mars is what put him in charge. So he also makes uh-huh. this quasi-religious as well. Right. Okay, sure. So he decides to continue this on there and start conquering other tribes, and Joshua Graham decides to hang around with him, and it turns out he's an even more brilliant military mind than Caesar is. So he ends up becoming his first legate. Now, Bill Calhoun's not all for this, but as kind of a tribute to him and just like, hey, listen, I'm going to do you a solid, you can go ahead and leave and tell everybody in the NCR that we're going to be eventually coming for them, Mm -hmm. which is what he does. 
Okay. Yep. And Bill exits the story and presumably does not get crucified at some point. <laughs> so what happens is that Caesar basically starts conquering all these tribes, up to 87 tribes, and like basically takes over more or less most of the southwestern United States, uh, stretching from, I believe, the eastern border of Arizona up to the Colorado River uh, in Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are starting their encroachment into Nevada when they run into the NCR. And so Caesar's like, oh, man, these, these NCR idiots, they have absolutely no chance at us, right. against us. And at first, he's kind of right about that because he uses basically shock tactics in order to take them out. Uh-huh. You know, he enslaves the female soldiers, which you know, horrifies them. Um, when he takes over entire towns, he will you know, crucify everybody except for the women, take them as slaves, take the children as slaves, um, which is his general MO just in general. If he takes over a tribe, all the men are going to die unless you can prove yourself as a warrior. Mm-hmm. And he usually proves yourself as a warrior by murdering your entire family. Ah, okay. That uh, doesn't seem like what warriors do, but okay. It's Yeah, it's kind of a, hey, prove you're going to be loyal to us and not your old tribe sort of thing. Right. And so he's doing all this sort of things. And like, and yeah, this absolutely freaks out the NCR, who's, you know, trying to fight with some sort of like actual rules of engagement. Uh-huh. Now, this goes all very well until they try to do the first Battle of Hoover Dam, where they basically are lured into this trap in a city called Boulder City, where all their best warriors run in there, and then are immediately shelled with artillery. In <laughs> so this forces, yeah, it's, this kind of forces them to retreat, and they're like, oh shit, they have artillery, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so they have to kind of regroup and lick their wounds. Now, unfortunately, Caesar does not brook failure, mm. and that means Joshua Graham has to pay the price. And how he pays the price is that they wrap him in bandages, cover him in pine tar, set him on fire, and throw him into the Grand Canyon. Ah, okay. He becomes, his name is also forbidden to be spoken of, and he only becomes known as the Burned Man. So all that happens, and during this entire time, Caesar finally has, like, kind of a dent in his armor of invulnerability, and this really worries him. He's, like, a very insecure man as well. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because, one, turns out he has brain cancer now. Okay. He's slowly getting sicker and sicker. Um, and two, he's a giant hypocrite. Like, he forbids modern medicine, but he has, a, like, an autodoc oh. that he uses himself. Uh-huh. And he also realizes that, like, oh, if anybody ever found out that I just adapted all this shit, all my philosophy from, like, <laughs> reading old books... People are going to realize that this is all bullshit and I'm going to die. Right. Super cult leader status. Exactly. And everybody else has already kind of figured this out as well outside of the Legion. Uh Because, like, yeah, the second Caesar dies, the the Legion's going to fall apart. Right. Like, because he is literally the only thing that's sticking them together. So you meet him and he's like, okay, listen, uh, there's something with a lucky 38 symbol that's, like, in our base. And you have this ship. I bet you this is something that Mr. House needs very desperately, I want you to go in there and destroy it. So you can go in there, and if you're siding with the Legion, you can totally do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're siding with the Legion, I, you're on your like third playthrough or something. Right. Because I can't imagine why you would side with them the there's, first time around. There's literally no narrative reason to side with them. No. Oh, also, a really good way to know if you're a person with shitty opinions on Twitter, uh-huh. uh, if you say, you know, the Legion has some good ideas. Yeah, mm, no. It's like, no. The Legion has some good sounding ideas that very clearly become bad ideas the instant you try any practical application of them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like I, I think they're pretty well written, and I like how like Caesar is like clearly a fraud and right. knows it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they have a good philosophy. People, right? They intentionally have a bad philosophy. <laughs> they're they're just well written, insane people. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So yeah, you go into um, this bunker and. Let's say, for, just for the sake of purposes, you go ahead and insert the platinum ship, and you do what Mr. House says. Which, by the way, at this point, you could, like, get here without ever talking to Mr. House, and he's like, you know, you could have gone to Lucky 38, been the first person to ever do that. You could have uh, met me and could have been my partner, mm-hmm. but you didn't. Well, whatever, I guess you're here. <laughs> Can you just activate my facilities and whatnot? I really need it. It'd be nice. <sighs> Dipshit. <It's> like, okay. <laughs> So you do that, and you realize the the platinum ship upgraded all the Securitrons because now they have like their faces usually have like cop images on them. Now uh-huh. they have like soldier images. You're like, hmm, that seems bad. Mm. And you make your way back to Mister House, who basically shows you off their, all their capabilities. Like now they have missile launchers somehow. Oh, and now you learn what Mister House's deal is. So Mister House. Mm-hmm. So you asked earlier, like how Vegas even survived intact in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. House, about 15 years before the Great War started, basically ran every possible mathematical situ- uh, simulation he could, and they all determined that within about 16 years, the world was going to end. Right. And so he started making plans to preserve Las Vegas, because the, this man loves him some Vegas. He loves the glitz and glamour and the possibility it provides for humanity. Mm-hmm. And he figured he's the only one who could possibly do it. He's the only one who could save it. So he starts building the Securitrons. He starts building an advanced laser defense grid. All these other crazy things that will help prevent the nukes from actually hitting Vegas. Mm-hmm. Now, these systems have a few glitches in them. So he has the platinum ship printed in Sunnyvale, California, and sent to him on uh, October 22nd, 2077. Unfortunately, as he says, he was about six hours too late. Mm. The world ended the following day. So because of that, uh, not all of Vegas was spared. The Lucky 38 and Hoover Dam, like, survived, but some of Vegas ended up getting nuked. Mm-hmm. It also meant he went dormant for a while and nearly died uh, because it turns out he kind of hooked them up to a bunch of, like, feeding tubes and machines and put himself in, like, an isolation pod. Okay. And um, because of that, he, for about 200 years or so, he was just completely out. But finally, he managed to reboot everything, and once he did, he sent his Securitrons out, found a bunch of tribes and went, hey, listen, I'm going to give you an option. You can either die or you can help me run my casinos. And they're like, I guess we won't die then. <laughs> and so these people like were known by like, different tribal names, but then they instead they became like the chairman or the omertas right. or the white glove society. And they were put in charge of all the different casinos. And he did this because he saw the Ants Gardens like, I know my soldiers. They're going to want to gamble. And gambling means money. And I need money in order to build my empire and, you know, basically take over the Mojave Wasteland myself mm-hmm. and then use that to rebuild humanity. And the man has grand dreams. He's like, right. it's like, listen, here's my 15-year plan. It's going to be rebuild Vegas. It's going to be rebuilt the surrounding area, rebuild the United States. 50 years, man on Mars. <laughs> okay. It's, that's hmm. And it's like, that seems really ambitious, but okay. And so at this point... You're given the choices like who you want to work with. You want to work the NCR, go down their path. You want to go down your own path and work the Yes Man, the Legion, Mr. House. Um, regardless, you have to go and like basically talk to different factions, the different casino houses, get their their okay. 
have to go talk to the Mojave chapter of the Brotherhood of Steel and get mm. their okay as well. Which the Brotherhood has fallen on hard times, by the way. They basically went to war with the NCR and lost horribly. Because Why did they Hall. do that? Well, because the NCR was getting more and more technology. And they were like, well, we want that technology. And the NCR was like, no. And as Mr. House pointed out, it's like, well, those idiots saw how their philosophy worked out for them when they were facing <laughs> down to 15 to 1 disadvantage in manpower. Yeah. Turns out, turns out power armor can't do anything about that. Also, <laughs> guess what? They have power armor, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they got wiped out. Their, like, leader, Father Elijah, like, disappeared. And, like, they basically reduced this bunker. And, like, depending on the faction you have, you either had to destroy them or, like, make a treaty with them or what have you. But you're doing this all in service to help either stop the NCR or stop the Legion at the Battle of Hoover Dam, which is coming. Mm. So you get all of this done, you you make your choices, and then the big old dumb old battle to Hoover Dam happens. <laughs> and depending on what you do, either you face off against uh, Caesar's new uh, legate, uh, Legate Lantius, who is basically like a mountain of a man who literally runs like twice as fast as you. <laughs> Has perfect stats and everything. Um, or you'll like end up fighting General Oliver and his men and murder him. Uh, General Oliver being the head of the NCR military. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that leads to the eventual end of the game. We, we, with one of the factions ultimately ending up in charge of Vegas. And of course, all that sweet, sweet power. And yeah, that's, that is the first story of Fallout New Vegas. It turns out Fallout New Vegas has two stories to it. Huh. Yeah, the second story is told all through DLC, though. But but yeah, it, it's the main quest in Fallout New Vegas is one of my favorites, even though some of the factions are a little underbaked. Like, there's a lot of cut content from Caesar's Legion, for instance. Right. You kind of go from zero to Battle of Hoover Dam, it turns right. out. Um, but there's, like, a lot of choices, a lot of different options you could do. And everything you do is still in service of moving the plot forward. Even when you do side quests with other factions like the Great Cons, it's it still will ultimately tie back into either like getting their support or not right and so ultimately i feel like it ends up working out better and see most people to agree with that as well Mm -hmm. yeah no i like i like this story a lot more than fallout 3 Mm -hmm. and i like i like the way that it's framed a lot more than fallout 3 because so every elder scrolls game you basically play as some sort of chosen one Mm -hmm. who's going to bring liberation or salvation or something you're the dragonborn or you're going to reinstate the rightful king of tamriel or some something something Mm -hmm. and fallout 3 really feels like it sort of falls into that of oh you're going to be the savior of the capital wasteland project purity will save the land you know Mm -hmm. only you can do that and this new vegas feels like it's like yeah, stuff's going down, like, there's a war, and you're gonna influence the outcome, but, like, you're just kind of a dude who ends up in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you really are 100%, like, kind of just nobody. Right. And, and like, it ends up working very, very well here. In a DLC, that's actually gonna be a bit of a problem, oddly enough. Ah. But, uh, yeah, here, it ends up working out really, really well, and, like, there's so many things I didn't, like, touch upon. Like, the different companions you can get have their own individual stories. And mm-hmm. you get, like, ending slides for them. Like, what happens? That's really... Like, they all have, like, six or seven different endings, depending on what you do. And some of them can be incredibly granular. Yeah. And 
and yeah, it's like it's one of those games that I, I really wish it got like another six months because it would I feel like it would be even greater than what it was. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. I also really like it. I really like its confidence as a story. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah. it's, it's whereas Fallout Three was like, oh, there's super mutants and the Enclave is back. You remember the Enclave? Mm-hmm. Everyone likes the Brotherhood of Steel, right? Look, they're they're cool superheroes now. This is like. It, it is an almost entirely new stuff, and what is the old stuff is, like, logical continuations of what was there, mm-hmm. but, like, the, the story isn't beholden to it. Yeah. Um, it also, it's really striking to me that there's no vault of critical significance. No, there's not. Like, there's vaults you could definitely explore, but right. no, there's not. Like, you're, you're not a vault dweller. You don't come out of a vault. You don't have to go to a vault. There's, mm-hmm. it, it's, no, this is a different thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's 100% like, just like a continuation of just the world healing and just being yeah. its own bespoke thing now. Instead of just retreading old ground. And it, yeah, it's, it's another reason why I just really like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah. And another thing I do like about this game is it does have some ambitious DLC. Mm. So just like Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas is going to have multiple DLC packs, four in total, and a lot of them are big into incorporating old elements that either got cut from Fallout New Vegas entirely or um, the original Van Buren project. Mm. And what's interesting about them, and it's something that's not readily apparent, they all are mashed together essentially to create their own additional story involving the courier and a mysterious man who bears the flag of the old world on his back. A man who isn't, I don't like, but <laughs> we're going to get to him as we talk about the DLC of Fallout New Vegas. And this is one where we unfortunately sort of have to talk about all of them because they all, they all fit into each other. But right. what's really weird about it is that the timeline of events, like for the player character, goes in order. Mm-hmm. For the actually the character who drives everything, a character by the name of Ulysses, it's all out of order when he visits these different places, uh. which makes it so confusing. But all right, so the DLC is named Dead Money, Honest Hearts, Old World Blues, and Lonesome Road. All have pretty good names. Yeah. Right? And each they each tell their own bespoke story for the courier. So mm-hmm. Dead Money, probably the most inconsequential one of them, is. A eh, actually, that might be Old World Blues. It basically tells the story of the Sierra Madre, Madre Casino, a casino of such opulence, meant to open the day the Great War happened. You're basically tempted to go there after you get a signal towards a Brotherhood bunker, and when you go in there, you're immediately just like ambushed and knocked out. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the old leader of the Brotherhood of Steel, Father Elijah, is still alive, and he's gone a little nuts. Uh, unfortunate. Yeah, he's put a slave collar on you that will explode if you try to run away. Okay. And um, unfortunately, the Sierra Madre, when it kind of got nuked, the entire place went into lockdown. Mm. And also this weird mist got released that basically transforms people into like weird, like masked monsters. Like they like all wear gas masks and are like all nearly impossible to kill. Mm. It is a DLC that is not fun to play. Ah. Has an interesting story though of like... um where all these people have been, like, kind of captured by Father Elijah because he's trying to break into the main, like, bank vault of the Sierra Madre. Not to get the gold that's in there, but to get the technology that's stored within. Because, of course, he's a, he's a Brotherhood of Steel crazy. Right. And he wants that stuff so he can get revenge on the NCR and make the Brotherhood great. 
So, like, you meet up with all these different people, uh, which includes, like, this uh, super meet with the split personality. One's either God, the other's called Dog. Okay. Um, <laughs> another by the name of Dean Domino, who's a ghoul, who's, like, a famous singer from the pre-war era. Um, uh, Christine, who's, like, an old person, an old hand with the Brotherhood of Steel, who, unfortunately, has been sort of maimed by Father Elijah. Hmm. Um, and there's one other person who's I completely forgot, but they're not relevant. So, <laughs> so you basically go through this casino and using um, uh, you getting help from like all the different your different companions, you eventually kind of get in there and break into the vault, um, in order to recover all the different artifacts that are like hanging out in there and whatnot. And like Father Elijah is pretty heavy on like, hey, listen, don't you dare take anything from there. If you take anything from there, I will murder you. And it's like, yeah, fine, whatever, I guess. If you really want everything, go ahead and get it. And it turns out, like, there's nothing really that special in the vault. Mm. It's really just more of the allure of the vault that was luring everybody there. Right. Like, there is technically a bunch of gold you can take, but it's, like, so heavy that you get over-encumbered. Ah. Uh, unless you put all the money on the dead body and to carry the dead body out, which you can mm. do that, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, like, Father Elijah comes down there, and you can actually, like, kind of sneak around and let him enter the vault and then close it behind him, trapping him in there. And then he'll just like kind of scream at you and you just like kind of like run away <laughs> as um as he more or less uh suffocates slowly in the vault. Damn. Yeah, and so you end up leaving there and then that's kind of it. So this how Elijah even found out about it though is that the man with the flag on his back, Ulysses, like met up with him at one point and realizing he was a crazy person, directing him towards the Sierra Badre. Because he's like, You should go there. Definitely treasure there. Definitely <laughs> won't die. You're a person who needs to die. Yep. So that sort of happens. The next one, Honest Hearts, is much, much uh, denser and like more important. And a lot, just a lot better. Uh, mm. Takes place in Zion National Park. And okay. Yeah, it's a really cool place uh, to play in. And the idea is you go along with this uh, caravan company called the Happy Trails Caravan Company. And once you get there, you're immediately ambushed by this uh, tribe called the White Legs. And they immediately, like, murder your entire tribe, the, the entire uh, caravan you're with. And once, uh, once that happens, you're like, well, I guess I need to kind of find out what's going on here. Seems like a real jerk move that y'all did that, but whatever. Right. So you end up kind of like wandering around a bit and then you end up running into a another tribe uh this tribe is called oh my apologies i believe i got this backwards okay you're ambushed by the dead horses or the an evil warlike tribe and you run into the white legs the white legs are a pacifist tribe that um basically came about when a bunch of children in a bus literally just crashed in zion national park when all the bombs fell and then a soldier who was literally just camping out there, who basically, like, lived there until the end of his days, more or less helped protect them as, like, an unseen, more or less as, like, an unseen god to them. Huh. And basically taught them, like, hey, be, like, let them know, it's like, hey, be good, don't be a jerk to your, your fellow man, and he basically just took that and ran with it. Right. But now the dead horses have shown up and are threatening them and are going to murder them, except they got a little bit of help. Because, you see, there's a group of Mormons called the New Canaanites who have shown up to um, help them out. Mm-hmm. Now, one of them wants to just kind of keep um, keep them on their, like, pacifist way. His name's Daniel. Mm-hmm. The other person wants them to go to war and, like, stomp them out. His name is Joshua Graham. Uh, Good old bird man. Turns out he's still alive. Okay. So 
The Birdman, Joshua Graham. First off, a real funny thing on Facebook. You actually might have seen this. You, you may have actually inadvertently have read a Joshua Graham quote at some point in your life. Okay, I believe that. Because Mormons on the internet really love to quote him and not know where it comes from. <laughs> uh-huh. A, partic- a particularly notable quote is uh, he says that he... Um, I survived because the fire inside me burned brighter than the fires around me. You will see that in so many Mormon image macros. Yeah, that does sound familiar. I bet it does. Yeah, because basically Fallout fans share that. And like they, they're like, yeah, he's a Mormon. And then a bunch of Mormons pick that up, not knowing what the hell this is. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just share this. And I find it so hilarious. Mm. <laughs> so he's had a bit of a come to Jesus moment uh, where... After all this happened, he basically barely survived. A new Canaanites found it, found him. And since he used to be part of them before he joined the followers of the apocalypse, they kind of welcomed, welcomed them back in. Right. And when that happened, he's like, okay, no, I'm, yeah, I'm back to being Mormon for life. <laughs> now, obviously, part of his Legion ways haven't completely gone. Like, he, right. he would much rather that the um, White Lakes still kind of continued on their path. But he just sees it like, this is not going to happen. They're going to get murdered, and I have a very particular skill set. Mm-hmm. In fact, literally when you meet him, he's like just has a bunch of like 45 pistols like mm. just out in front of him. And he's just constantly opening up, looking at them, inspecting them, making sure in working order while he talks to you. Right. Like the man has his mind on one thing. Mm. And like you can like kind of talk to him about his time in the Legion and whatnot. He's like, he's like you know, I, I'm not sure if I do regret or don't regret like what I did, but I know I have a new calling. And I'm not surprised that uh, Caesar may one day come for me. And uh, he does actually mention that, yeah, Caesar actually did come for me. He did send a man, send a man after me, a man with a flag on his back. Mm. Uh, good, old, good old Ulysses, mm-hmm. who decided for one reason or another not to kill him. And so he's like, I expect, and if I give him a part of the legion, he's like, yeah, I expect him to like realize the failure and send another. But you can also tell him that uh, Caesar's dead. And he's like, huh. You know, feel a little bit of joy about that. <laughs> really did not expect to outlive him. <laughs> so, yeah, he's like, um, he's a very interesting character in this because he's clearly like has changed his ways and whatnot, but like not completely. Right. And like he definitely has his mind on one thing, which is teach the White Lakes how to fight. Mm-hmm. And that's like the main central conflict in this is like, do the White Lakes just escape from Zion and leave behind their now ancestral homeland or do they fight and stay but ultimately change their character? Mm hmm. And no, depending on your decision, will of course change ultimately what ends up happening. Either Joshua Graham leaves and goes to find another tribe, or Daniel leaves to go back to the New Canaanites, kind of disillusioned. Right. And you know the White Legs will either continue on their pacifist ways or not. So that ends up leading to Old World Blues, which is the wacky one, <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. Basically, you end up at this creature called the Big MT, which when you Say it out very quickly. Goes big empty. Yep. Yep. It's it's a place that is full of technological wonder and is also practically impossible to get to because there's a bunch of like weird storms that surround the area mm. that are clearly man-made. And it turns out it was a place of the greatest scientists the United States had ever seen. They basically all showed up there and decided to do science. And then when the world ended, they were like, well, we need to continue doing science. Not necessarily to help the world, but just to do science. Right. Yeah, sure. Here's science for science sake. And a lot of science involves putting brains in things. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is one of the places where robo-brains came from. Okay, sure. And it turns out they put their brains in, in other objects. <laughs> it's, 
And yeah, they're all basically like Venture Rose level, like <laughs> science is the end goal. Right. And they are, it's wonderful. Because they're all just like very angry at each other and whatnot, and just like very petty. <laughs> <laughs> and so you basically go around and like solve all their dumb little problems and whatnot. And you also learn that this is where like Ulysses ended up showing up here, and this is where he met Father Elijah and whatnot and directed him to his death, essentially. Uh-huh. And like um Ulysses also met Christine here, like kind of like took pity after he found out she got maimed and like st- went off searching himself for, like, a way to help cure her and, like, help out with her, like, now new physical deformities and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's here also that he learned, like, about um, a source of great destruction that he could potentially make use of as well um, in a place called the Divide that turns out is where he actually originally came from in the first place. So you basically go there, and once again, you're, like, helping out all these different robo-brains, and it's probably not... Probably no, not a huge necess- necessity to get into it because there's basically just two factions of like brains and jars that are fighting against each other. But mm-hmm. it, it there is just like a lot of like good funny dialogue and whatnot that uh, makes it like a real real fun play to do. And so that leads us to our final DLC, which is the Lonesome Road, which is also by far the worst. Oof! Because it is a it's a combat based DLC uh... where all the enemies are incredibly strong and. You have Ulysses basically monologuing you the entire time, and his philosophy does not make sense at all. <laughs> Oof. So, basically, we should get into what Ulysses' deal is. Ulysses is a courier, just like yourself. But before he was a courier, he was part of a tribe called the Twisted Hares. Now, the Twisted Hares were a tribe in, I believe, southeastern Arizona, who were really, really good scouts and really good at murdering people. So when Caesar showed up and tried to subjugate him, he actually like, had a lot of difficulty, uh, lost a lot of troops to them, mm-hmm. to the point that when he captured them, he's like, you know, we, I should definitely learn from you all and incorporate your tactics. Also, I should probably kill all of you. Mm, fair. Mm-hmm. But one of them, he identified as being probably the best out of the bunch, and that was Ulysses. Now, that wasn't U- Ulysses wasn't his, originally his name, but after he joins the Legion, he... Um, uh, he ends up taking taking that name, mm-hmm. uh, and he does that to just kind of show that he's separated from his old tribe. And another way he shows that he's separated from his old tribe is that he kills his entire family. Okay, yeah. Now, some people from his tribe are also brought in and become the first Fumitari, the first scouts of the Legion. Mm-hmm. And he's very, 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 very good at his job. Uh, he is instrumental in subjugating multiple tribes, and... Like, he doesn't, like, fully believe in, like, Caesar's goals or whatnot. He, like, he really doesn't have much of an ideology at this point. He just, like, thoroughly believes that maybe he should, like, help these people out. and Maybe he will learn what his true ideals are. Mm. Like, he, one thing he does have an obsession with, though, is history and symbols, because his own history was erased by Caesar's. Right. Which is why he starts wearing the flag of the old world on his back, the United States flag. So... Everything comes ahead in Boulder City when he watches uh, basically the Legion get massacred, Joshua Graham get thrown on fire into the Grand Canyon, and goes, huh, that seems kind of bad. And he sort of decides to kind of wander for a little bit and become a courier. Now, Caesar's kind of okay with this because it turns out a lot of couriers are actually uh, disguised Legionnaires in the first place, Mm. which is actually kind of good because, like, at the start of the game, the Legion won't immediately try to murder you. Right. And that's the reason. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um. But eventually, he runs, runs into this place called Hopeville. And he's like, Hopeville seems pretty rad. And he's like, huh, 
it's like society is kind of building itself and like it's kind of like a proto-America in its sort of ways, kind of similar to NCR, but also a kind of different in its way, and he feels like it could be a home for himself. Unfortunately, both the NCR and Caesar's Legion find this place, and it turns out it's a vital supply line, so they start clashing over it. And then one day, you show up. It turns out you have a package, and you deliver that package. But once you deliver that package and you leave, it transmits some codes that link to a bunch of ICBMs that are hidden underneath the city, that kind of explode. Huh. Yeah, and it causes a giant rift to form, hence the divide. It okay. causes these weird storms and a bunch of mutations, and it basically destroys uh, Ulysses' second home. Mm. So this completely sends him over the edge. Like, he goes back to Caesar's Legion for a little bit and, like, works on a little bit. Like, this is when he goes and meets Joshua Graham for the second time and learns he's alive. Mm-hmm. But, and, like, meets the White Legs. But, like, I... He actually ends up agreeing with Joshua Graham, like, what he's doing, like, a little bit, and actually even, like, helps him, like, train the White Legs a little bit before he leaves. Like, he goes to the Big Empty to, like, figure out, like, if what their ideology is, like, this symbol of the old world, like, what is their deal? Mm-hmm. And that's where he learns that back in the Divide, there might be another device that will help him get his revenge against the Courier and destroy everything he loves. So he goes back to the Divide and start, like, making his plan and whatnot and kind of figuring out, like, well, how's he going to lure the courier here? At first, he's like, well, the courier's destined to meet me. Eventually, he'll show up. <laughs> and then the courier doesn't. So then he just sends a message out. Hey, courier six, divide. And then that lures you there. Okay, that's fair. So that's when you show up. And then, like, through an iBot, he basically tells you everything that's been going on, his whole philosophy of whatnot. And, like, how he, despite thinking, like, meeting the NCR and Caesar's Legion, he's like, neither of them have, like, a long-term answer for, like, the future of humanity. And, like, he's not really sure, like what the future is but he is going to definitely destroy ours mm-hmm. and he's going to use uh, some nuclear missiles that are still underneath the divide in order to do that it's so, like if you're with the legion he's going to destroy the legion if you're with the ncr he's going to destroy the ncr if you're just make your own vegas factional destroy vegas and so as you like get to him and whatnot he keeps expounding these philosophies and whatnot and you can just kind of ignore them talk about them or whatnot mm-hmm. Like, you eventually meet up with him. He's like, all right, we're going to have a big old stupid fight. We're going to make this happen, and we're not. We're going to destroy the old world and build a new one, and it's going to be great, and whoever wins will be the one who's going to make it happen. And then by that point, you're probably level 15, you have 100% speech, and you can just talk him down. Ah, well, that like, too. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just let go of all of my hate and just, it's cool. <laughs> he's like, uh, oh. He's like, do you want my jacket? He's like, yes. <laughs> like all right sure i guess i guess that's cool or of course you can fight him and he like has the best ass in the game and whatnot right but um but yeah like he's a character that's not particularly well written because he's a character who has no philosophy Mm. right (laughs) like his big thing is talking to you about how he tried to find one and kind of sort of failed to do so but that his philosophy is that nobody has a philosophy it's like it's weirdly nihilistic in a sense right but that doesn't make for very good motivation to do things yeah and then his motivation is to get revenge on you for destroying essentially his second home right and this is where the problem where you're an unnamed courier who's just kind of doing his own thing right you have no connection to this man. yeah you you have no relevance to anyone else's life prior to the actions you directly take in the game Mm -hmm. yeah and so like this idea you delivered a package and it blew up a city and it's like well i'd I'd have no knowledge of that right 
And it's like, I, and it could be like something to that to be like, well, you know, I just kind of did the thing. It's like, you hate me for this? Oh boy. Yeah. But since you're kind of a, just, you're a not really, you're kind of a silent-ish protagonist, it, once again, it doesn't really work. So, yeah, yeah. It's um, a little unfortunate. It's funny, the game Infamous actually has sort of that same setup, hmm. and it sort of runs into the same problem of like, people try to, some people try to blame you for the events that happened, which were completely outside of your control. Mm-hmm. Kind of, there's weird things, but it's like, yeah, okay, well, I was just delivering a package. Like, I don't know what, what you want from me. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't do anything on purpose that connects to you. So we don't really have like a misalignment. Yeah, exactly. Like, he just has, like, this really weird obsession with the fact that one person can, like, change an entire community or change, like, a bunch of people's lives and, like, a weird obsession with the old world. Right. And, like, yeah, it's just kind of, like, this really, really weird thing. Right. Which, so I think there is something interesting in the idea of, like, especially when you're talking about nuclear weapons and like the the idea of a nuclear apocalypse that like one person or a small group of people in a very short span of time can completely destroy so many people's lives Mm -hmm. and then like the idea that he could do the same thing it, it sort of goes back to the the idea of like it goes back to how new vegas doesn't try overly hard to frame your character or your actions as like this chosen prophesied person. You're just sort of an individual doing things that have ripple effects to other people. Yeah. And like, I think you could do interesting things examining that, that where like the, both of you are just individuals, but circumstances have granted you access to this power to affect other people Mm. but yeah 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 it's something that ultimately doesn't work and most people seem to agree with that there's like a few people who out there who really like ulysses right um but yeah that seems to be the general consensus and like a big reason why lonesome road is not not well received between that and the combat it's like ah geez it's just nothing about this works right but that is Fallout New Vegas in its entirety, which, boy, that was a lot of Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I am definitely splitting this podcast up. Um, yeah, let's. we still have one last Fallout game to knock out, and it's probably the one that's the least liked out of all of them. That's not Fallout 76. Yeah. Oh, Alex, we got to talk about Fallout 4. I'm, I'm excited. This is... I was gonna. I actually no. I just. I just have no relation with Fallout Four really at all, other than I briefly played Fallout Seventy Six, and I hear it's fundamentally the same game, but worse. Mm, it it shares a lot of ideas. I will say that much. I think Fallout Four, from a pure gameplay perspective, is a hell of a game. Mm. Um, upon release, it had a lot of problems. Like it barely ran on the PS4 and Xbox 360. Right. A lot of bugs on the on PC version that made it very crashy. Like it's still it's still a pretty crashy game to this day. Mm. But like it's gotten a ton of support. There's like a lot of good DLC that's for it. And like the sh- course shooting in it's great. The um the settlement building. I love the settlement building in this game so much. Mm-hmm. 
Assuming you either have a mod that breaks the settlement building or know <laughs> how to break it on the console versions. Ah. Because there's a build limit that's very strict. Ah. Uh, but it's um it's very, very easy to break if you say just drop bottles on the ground, then enter build mode, and then delete them. Because the game goes like, oh, you have a better, bigger budget now. But, uh, <laughs> they didn't count for that, huh? Yeah, Fallout 4 is a game that was hyped to hell and back. Uh, there was a big old timer that was on on screen um that was on their website for the longest time right uh that accidentally went away i think about a day before it actually hit zero uh, and it just had all the information up for an hour oof <laughs> which uh bad sign to start when you're already glitching out yeah and that followed on with a long presentation by uh, todd howard going over the entire game um uh including talking about the um the Garden Eden creation kit that they were going to have in there to help facilitate building the game and um, uh, a bunch of, bunch of other stuff. And, you know, he talked about how, you know, how these games are sometimes buggy. <laughs> like, is kind of jokey about it. Right. I, I like Todd Howard. I, I should point this out. I think he gets a lot of flack, and I think, mm-hmm. I think some of it's a little deserved because he does hype the games. But Yeah. But, you know, it, it was a fun presentation. And when I saw it, I was excited. I was like, Yay! And it's also a game that takes an entirely different conceit and like kind of like starting point from the entirety of the Fallout series. Huh. Because this game puts you in charge of a character called the Soul Survivor. The Soul Survivor is somebody who lived before the bombs dropped. Right. And yeah. And they're also the rare case where they're actually a named character, either Nate or Nora. Uh, depending if you're male or female, respectively. Uh-huh. Now, these names are never spoken, but they are the official names. In these Why characters. did they give them the names then? Uh, I think just identification reasons. Yeah, I I don't know why. Okay, the worst part about a game with spoken dialogue and an unnamed character is that they need to find ridiculously abstract ways to spokenly refer to that unnamed character. That's okay. You'll be referred to as, like, general or father or... Uh, insert nickname for slave liber- liberation organization because you can have multiple. Right. Or knight if you're a brotherhood of steel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's always annoying when they do that, and it's also something that I have a lot of thoughts about because by making yourself a fish out of water, mm-hmm. obviously there's good things about that because you are able to reintroduce concepts like ghouls and super mutants and whatnot right. for a new audience and whatnot. Haven't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of bad because all the lines are voiced, right? which means it kind of limits how many options you can have. Mm. Like, I mean, you could theoretically have as much as you want if you're willing to voice all that, but, right. you know, budgets exist. Yes, especially for Bethesda games, it turns out. Yeah, and as we're going to get into, it also means that if you have, say, a heart-tugging center to this story, and you have a Bethesda game where you can kind of just wander off and say, build settlements mm-hmm. for 24 hours it's going to really undercut it little bit yeah and it seems everybody agreed like some people like really did like the central conceit in the story some other people really did not uh-huh. um a lot of people liked the gameplay everybody hated the performance uh-huh. and it ended up getting middling reviews hmm. that being said uh it sold a lot of copies yeah and supposedly, this is from Bethesda, earned roughly about $750 million in his first year. All right. So it worked out for them. Yeah. And given it's the basis that Fallout 76 was built off of, uh, clearly it worked. It, it just drives me insane to no end how many 
very successful hits Bethesda has, has mm-hmm. slash had, and their adamant refusal to expand their core game studio in spite of it. <laughs> right. Like, you made Skyrim and Fallout 4 back-to-back, and Doom 2016 was somewhere in between those two. How do you only have, like, 70 people at your studio? Well, to be fair to Doom, that was developed by it. That well, yeah, but they, Bethesda. but they still get the profits from it, don't they? Yeah, I guess, yeah, but Bethesda Softworks does, yeah. Where, yeah, like, but like, the core team, like, Bethesda Games, right, 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 still yeah. straight, really small, yeah. Yeah, no, so, yeah, the... Obviously, there there is some like management logistics to be done between Bethesda Game Studio, who mm-hmm. you know just primarily does Elder Scrolls and Fallout, and theoretically Starfield remains to be seen. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, larger Bethesda slash Zenimax, which includes Id and Arcane and others, I'm sure, who are doing something. Um, yeah. But like, as a conglomerate, they had like. Fallout 3, New Vegas, Skyrim, Fallout 4, Dishonored, Doom 2016. Like, they had income. Yeah, maybe you can make a big, you can, you can make that team a little bigger, right? You would hope. Maybe, you would hope. Maybe expand the game dev tools a little bit in 15 years. Alex, don't worry. They're going to do that. They're going to open a new studio down in Austin that's technically be a part of Bethesda Game Studios, and they're going to make this cool online game. <sighs> Oh my god. Let me tell you that. It takes place in Virginia. It's called Fallout 76. It's going to be great. The Enclave shows up. Every Bethesda game studio is contributing to this game somehow. There are <laughs> hundreds of people involved in this game. <laughs> and by contributing, I mean they're going to look at it and be like, boy, that's a mess. Oh boy, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, so critical reception for Fallout 4 wasn't the greatest. Mm. It's a game I love to death, even though I think it's an incredibly flawed product. Right. And I play for every reason but the story. <laughs> and speaking of said story, yeah. let's go ahead and talk about it. So, as I just told, uh, the story takes place actually before the Great War even begins. Uh, granted, it takes place like 30 minutes right. before the Great War starts. Right. In, a, in an opening that is also like... Similar to Fallout 3 and like kind of how hilarious of circumstances it is. Yeah, I really like the conceit of the opening, but oh man, the details are just stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it starts out with like um, the male character uh, basically talking about like the food riots that are happening, the war going on and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then you just like open up to you staring at the screen with your wife and whatnot, and you can customize your faces and whatnot. And that's where you can also select if you actually want to play as the wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, the husband himself is a professional soldier who just retired, is going to like a veterans hall meeting that night. And your wife, I think, is technically a lawyer? Mm. Um, they're both going to be good at shooting people. Yeah, well. Turns out. Um, so we're going to, I'm just going to go in with Nora because that's who I play as. Uh-huh. Uh, and... Basically, you had recently gave birth to a little baby named Sean. Sean's like, I don't know, three months. He's, he's an age. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out, you know, it's, it's October 23rd, 2077. Oh, boy. And, like, literally the game starts with, like, a vault tech rep, like, knocking on doors. Like, hey, you want to sign up for the vault that's literally just up the hill? <laughs> and I can go in and do so. And it's like, all right, great. And then it's like, oh, no, the bombs are falling. We need to go to the vault. It's a good thing we just signed up for It's this. so, it's so, just the timeline feels so ridiculous. It's so, it really does. It's so stupid. 
at least Fallout 3 had the conceit of being like, ah, here I guess 16 years later. Yeah. This is like, all right, I guess we're signed up for the vault. Is that ever? Oh no, we need to get to the vault that just became relevant to our lives. You see, honey, I told you earthquake insurance was a good idea. There's earthquakes everywhere now. Oh God. <laughs> so you run to the vault. The bombs literally go off. You literally see the bomb go off and somehow don't go blind. Yeah. Go down into the vault. You put on your suits, and you're like, man, there's not really a whole lot of living quarters. Like, no, nah, don't worry. You need to get in this pod. We're going to do a medical scan on you. And you're like, all right. You get into the pod. Your spouse gets into the other pod holding baby. Mm-hmm. They don't even bother to take baby. They're just like, get in there with baby. And then it turns out they're cryopods. You get frozen. Okay. So then you get frozen, and some point in the future, you get the thought. You get, like, thawed out. Mm-hmm. Except you don't get released. You're... Uh, I guess in this case, we'll say husband and baby get released. And you see a man in like, who's like leather jacket and whatnot, balding head, looks real cool. And he's with some scientists. And they're mm. like, hey, we need your baby. And he's like, you can't have my baby. It's like, give me my baby or I'm going to shoot you. He's like, you can't have baby. And he gets shot and then he frees him. And, like, and then he gets frozen again. You're like, you're doing this. You're like, you're pounding on there. And uh-huh. like, this guy looks in there and is like, well, at least we have a backup plan. And then you get frozen again. And then at some point in the future, the vault fails. And then you get unfrozen, and you wake up. Uh, everyone's dead, by the way, because mm-hmm. uh, they unfroze but weren't able to get out. So, whoops. Okay. So, guess, guess you all died. And um, now it's up to you to go and find your baby Sean and get your revenge for your husband. Along the way, you get a pit boy You find out it's 210 years in the future. Also, uh, you learn this vault, uh, the entire point of it was just to freeze people and see how long they could last frozen, which turns out. At least 210 years. Okay. So Good success looks good. Good to know. Good to know. Thanks, vault So you end up exiting the vault, and of course you see that everything is destroyed and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You go back down to your old house. You meet your old robot butler named Codsworth, who's like your first companion. Right. And it's like, all right, well, I guess we got to go find our baby. So you head down to the neighboring town of uh, Concord, and you end up like seeing this guy dressed up in like Revolutionary War garb, like... Using a weapon called a laser musket, which is literally a laser rifle that you crank the power up. Okay. It's it's a fu- it's it's a really dumb weapon, mm. but I really like it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's also technically the most powerful weapon in the game because um, the cranks are limited by the magazine, and you can get a perk on there that gives it an unlimited magazine. Oh. So you can just keep cranking that baby, <laughs> one shot, whatever you want. It's great. Um. But yeah, so like you meet up with these people and it turns out they've been besieged by raiders and it's this group of six people led by a man named Preston Garvey and it turns out they are part of a group called the Minutemen. So I failed to even say where this game even takes place. Oh. You're in Boston and the surrounding area of Boston. Um, so a lot of Wicked and Boston accents. It's not a Boston accent, but don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of those. And it turns out the Minutemen is, once again, Boston. Right. Uh, they're this group of do-gooders who basically are just like, we have guns and we go around helping people. That's literally all we do. That is the entirety of our faction. <laughs> there is we, no depth. There is no depth. We literally exist. So if you upset every other faction, you can still beat the game. <laughs> like, you can literally murder all of Preston's fa- friends and shoot them in the face. And, like, if you come back to him, like, 72 hours later, he's like, well, I'm still upset at you for murdering everybody, but we, we need a general to help us out. So right. you win. <laughs> so you escort him back to, like, your old um, 
place of sanctuary, and that's when you can join the Minutemen and become their new general and help rebuild them. Because it turns out the Minutemen end up getting destroyed by this mercenary organization called the Gunners, and like everybody got murdered, and there was a bunch of infighting. That's really all you need to know about the Minutemen. Okay. There's a lot of good mods that are out for Fallout 4 that actually make them a thing, <laughs> which is good because Bethesda didn't bother. Yeah. So you're told to go to this place called Diamond City, which is a little town that's built out of the old ruins of Fenway Park. Um, okay. Or at least legally distinct Fenway Park. They, located in a neighborhood called the Fens. Uh, they, they couldn't. They couldn't get the rights to Fenway Park. I mean, it's like probably more like a why bother. It's don't really need to. I, I but guess. I mean, it totally is Fenway Park. Okay, um, sure. Like there, you meet like another companion, uh, Piper, who's a, a peppy news reporter mm. who wants to report about the evils of the synths. Because it turns out there's this shadowy organization called the Institute, and there are a bunch of scientists who have been sending these like weird robot people called synths to the surface to disguise themselves as humanity and like sneak in and like take over the common the boston commonwealth okay and so like at first you like, kind of don't care about all this you're just like i just want to find my son man right things are messed up baseball doesn't exist anymore <laughs> the world's destroyed i'm surprisingly kind of okay with the world being destroyed but i really want to find my son right so piper tells you like hey listen there's the this detective here that might be able to help you. His name is Nick Valentine. He looks a little weird, but don't worry about it. Sorry, quick question. Um, sure. At this point, you know that it's 210 years in the future, right? Yeah, like your robot butler, Codsworth, tells you that. Okay. Do you have any indication that your dethawed baby is still alive 210 years later? No. Okay. So you're just hoping. You're just hoping. You saw a baby get taken, and you're like, baby got taken. Don't know how long ago baby got taken. Don't know how long ago baby got taken, but got to find baby. Okay. Yes. So you meet up with Nick, who you find out, oh, I guess synths are real because he's a synth. Oh. But he's like an earlier generation model. He's like, got, has like rubber skin, like a lot of it's falling apart and whatnot. So you can see like his undercarriage a little bit. Uh-huh. Like gray skin. Like he's like dressed up like an old PI detective. So he has like, a, you know, khaki trench coat with a fedora. Right. Nick is cool. He, um, he basically has been loaded with the personality of an old Boston detective, and he's just decided to roll with it. All right, cool. And it turns out, you know, he's good at his job. Yeah, love Nick an awful lot. I love the companions in this game an awful lot, like Piper on. Uh, they all are pretty darn good. Got it. Uh, We're not going to worry about the fact that he's a robot man, though. No, he's been, like, just helping out people, and, like, when you see him, you're like, oh, wow, you're a robot man. He's like, yeah, kind of crazy, huh? And you're like, yep. Probably. Anyways, can you... Can you help me find my baby? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure. So, um, oh, I, I kind of messed up and said, yeah, I kind of, yeah, you know, it's not relevant. You have to catch go like, to a vault to find Nick, and then you bring him back. Okay. Uh, so you do that, and then you talk to Nick. Got it. Anyways, <laughs> so he's like, oh, man, this is kind of bad. But, you know, I heard of that, about this really shady guy who lived here. His name was Kellogg. Kind of matches your description. He also had, like, a 10-year-old boy with him. And you're like, well, that's impossible, though. My son was a baby. He's, and I think that's the point when Nick's like, uh, how, how long were you frozen? <laughs> yeah. And you're, like, and you're like, oh. Hmm. So you break into his apartment and, like, you kind of, like, find, like, some cigars of his and whatnot that are very distinct. And uh, by the time you have found a dog uh, by the name Dogmeat, because every Fallout game has a dog named Dogmeat. Right. And using him... You track his scent down to this old fort. 
Now, you fight your way through this fort, and, like, you're being taunted by Kellogg the entire way. He's like, huh, I knew you'd come for me one day. Well, come and get me and whatnot. And so you fight through, like, all these, like, synths and whatnot. And Wait, what uh, do you mean he knew you'd come for him one day? He left you in a freezy pod to die of freezing. Yeah, he did. But, you know, he's like, he, he kind of knows that if, like, you lose a kid, you're going to do everything you can to get him back. Well, why didn't he shoot you then? Ah, uh, you know, he wasn't ordered to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and like it's during this time you like you learn that Kellogg is working with the Institute. And of course we're gonna get into the Institute's deal here in a bit. Right. So you get to Kellogg and at first he's like, Hey, how about we kinda talk this out? And it's like, Where's my son? He's like, Don't got him. It's like, but I know he had a ten year old kid. It's like, Yeah, you took your kid a long time ago, man. Like, just letting you know that. So Anyways, don't have your kid. He's probably at, he's at the Institute. I'll tell you that much. He's like, I'm going to kill you, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and so then, you know, you get into a big old dumb gum fight and you kill him. Cool. And, um, and so like, it's like, well, I guess it's kind of a dead end. But it turns out he has this like weird chip in his brain. That's like attached to like the basal ganglia of his brain. Mm-hmm. So you just sort of rip that out and take it with you. Right. And Nick is like, I think I know what we can do with this. There's this place in this um, town called Good Neighbor. That's basically a lawless town where it's like drugs are cool. It's libertarian paradise, essentially. Okay. And it's like, there's this place called the Memory Den where you can kind of relive old memories of yours. I bet you we could use that to relive the memories of Kellogg and figure out what's going on. So you go to this Memory Den and like, at first, like the doctor there, Dr. Amari is not able to get into it, but she's like, well, if I hook up Nick and I hook up you, you can jump into Nick's mind and you see Kellogg's mind. Okay. I know Fallout is technologically anachronistic, but, like, this is getting ridiculous. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? We're just going straight up VR mind jack now. Like, this is yep. a little much. <laughs> it's it's a little much, but they're like, I don't know. What if you want to, did you want to hear about Kellogg's tragic backstory? You can. No. So it's like, <laughs> oh, you're going to anyway. So you hop on in there and you learn about how Kellogg came from the NCR and then, like, he used to be a bad guy, but he settled down for Lady and had a kid, but then the kid and his wife got murdered, so he got his revenge, and that's how he knew you were going to get revenge. But then he went and joined the Institute, and that actually he's been alive for, like, a hundred years, because the Institute's augmented him. Uh-huh. Okay. And and also, like, he knows how to get into the Institute as well, and um, you learn that they get into the Institute because they literally have perfected teleportation. What? Oh, boy, you're talking about technology, like how, like, the technology is getting, like, really weird. Okay, this is going to break a lot of things. hmm Yeah. Like, well, there's a lot of things about the Institute that's going to break a lot of things, let me assure you. <laughs> so, like, they started with Terminators and just kind of went from there. It's more like they went down the Terminator route and then they did a, had a bunch of different side projects, some kookier than the others, because... Spoiler alert, there's super mutants here, and guess who's the cause of that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're the, messing with the FEV. The, not the Enclave? The- not the Enclave, not this time. Okay, sure. Yeah. So, it's eventually you get to his, like, last memory, and that's him hanging out with uh, your now 10-year-old kid. And, like, that's when you, like, learn that, oh, no, yeah, Kellogg grabbed my kid at a different time. I got refrozen and thawed out, like, at least 10 years later. Oh, okay. Learn about teleportation uh, and whatnot. And we learned that, yeah, Sean ended up going back to the Institute. And then that shortly after that, you murdered Kellogg. So it's like, okay, well, 
teleportation, that's how they got in there. All right, well, how can we get in there? Like, well, Dr. Omari has an idea, because she recognizes that the person who teleported to take Sean back was a synth called a courser. And coursers have a special chip in their brain that allows them to hack into the, like, Institute signal and actually teleport back and forth. Okay, wait, sorry, real quick. So synths have brains? Oh, when we get to synth, the whole deal with a synth, it's going to be... <sighs> okay. It will not make sense. Okay. So, it's like, all right, well, our next goal is to tra tra track down a courser and build a teleporter. Sure. Uh, yeah, and the two, like... You basically get the teleporter plans and whatnot, and so you and you track down this the a courser who's like going after a um, a courser. Basically, their whole entire deal is to track down since who escaped from um, the institute. Okay, their, their whole deal is to go out there and get him back, or just be basically the general like door kickers and whatnot. Okay, so since also just go rogue like a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, so. You go and you find this uh, courser, you murder the hell out of him, you get his chip, and then between that and the teleporter that you get the plans to and build with one of the factions, mm -hmm. uh, you end up going to the Institute. Okay. And so when you show up there, like, the leader of the Institute, whose name is Father, is like, hey, oh, we were expecting you to come. Yeah, when we heard you got, the, you know, like, thawed out and whatnot, we figured it was just a matter of time. Well, welcome. Just come up the stairs. We got something to show you. And so you get in there, and you see your 10-year-old son, Sean. And you're like, oh, shit, Sean? And, like, the one, like, part where, like, the voice actress is, like, really, like, emotional. Like, mm -hmm. Sean, you're here? Oh, my God. I'm, don't worry, B. I'm going to get you out of here. And, like, Sean's freaking out. He's like, I have no idea who the hell you are because mm -hmm. I was a baby. Right. <laughs> and so you're getting, like, super distraught. And then, like, the leader of the Institute, whose name is Father, like, this old man walks in. And he, like, calls out a recall code that causes sean to basically go limp because it turns out sean is a synth um fun fact about this mm -hmm. uh when i first played this game he walked through the door it freaked me out and i shot him in the face <laughs> which instantly gave me an objective called leave the institute so i left so i did not learn all the revelations that happened right after this oh okay <laughs> which actually i kind of give credit to the game mm -hmm. i was like huh not bad <laughs> So we learned that this old man, the leader of the Institute, like after he's like asked, like, where's Sean? Show me my son. He's like, oh, good news. I'm him. How's it going? <laughs> okay. And you're, and you're like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, that can't be. He's like, how long do you think you were frozen? <laughs> Ten years, like previous exposition said. Yeah. It's like, nah, it's been more like 60. Oh. I was taken like 60 years ago. Okay, so the storytelling's just been a lie until now. Yeah. Which, I mean, to be fair, like, this... Yeah, I, I sure. don't mind this twist so much. Uh -huh. Like, this is all right. Okay. Now, Sean is, was basically grabbed because they needed a genetically pure sample. Um, they wanted somebody who has not been affected by radiation at all. It's the reason why they actually left you alive as well, because they're like, well, Sean doesn't work out for one reason or another. We still have somebody who's in this pre-war cryo vault right. that we can go ahead and grab. And since they accidentally killed everybody else in there, you're kind of the fail-safe. Now, thankfully, that didn't happen. And they were able to proceed with their plan, which is called Create the Perfect Synth. You see, for a good, I don't know, 80 years or so, they've been creating synths. Okay. But they're basically just like robot men. Mm -hmm. And if the first generation synths were just basically scary skeletons. Okay. 
second generation are people like Nick, where they have basically rubber skin and are very fake. But they're like, the only way we can make a perfect synth and advance humanity, because this is all about the advancement of humanity, is if we make them as close to people as possible. So they needed that genetic sample. They got that. And they were able to get to work on creating these synths. Now, during that time, Sean was educated and grew to love the Institute and become very, very confident. And to the point that he actually was put in charge of the entire Institute eventually. And he continued on with the plan to create more synths. And, like, they have, like, wild ideas to create synths. Like, they, they're creating synth gorillas, for instance, and okay. other creatures. Yeah. And the, a synth, a third-generation synth, might as well just be a person who doesn't have to eat or sleep. You see, synths basically are flesh and blood. Like, when you see okay. them actually made, like, bones are actually placed, and, like, little machines will come in and put in, like, the muscle musculature and organs and whatnot. And then, like, they'll be dipped in a vat, and that puts their skin on. And then after that, they get up and walk on out. So like we, he, they just have what? 3D bioprinters? Yes, they do. And they can make a lot of sense, like, really shortly, too. Yeah, so, like, they're still robot people to a certain extent because they don't have to eat or, like, sleep or whatnot. Like, they can eat and they can sleep, but they just have a hard time doing so. And it's not necessary for them. Okay... And so what are they doing with these synths? Uh-huh. So they are taking these synths and they are, well, more, more specifically, they're going to like all the different communities in the Commonwealth and they're con- kidnapping prominent people from there, uh-huh. murdering them, and then replacing them with a synth. Okay. Ah, isn't that great? Why? <laughs> because they want to infiltrate and guide the different, um, different Commonwealth factions in a way where they can introduce new technologies, better the life of people, and eventually get to a point where the surface is habitable enough that they can come up from their underground bunker. By the way, they're in an underground bunker underneath a place called the Commonwealth Institute of Technology. Okay. It's um, the MIT stand-in. Okay. Uh, and so that's like their kind of entire plan and whatnot. Why and don't they just do that without the robot people? Oh, because they don't trust them. They just don't trust like humanity and they think that they're like wild savages and whatnot. In fact, like, their one attempt, like, the Commonwealth to, like, make a unified government, they literally infiltrated and killed all the prominent leaders. Okay. Because they're that paranoid that they're going to do things the wrong way. Right. And so the only they can, they're, like, big hubris people. Like, this is the only way we can do it. The only way is if we basically murder important people and replace them with fake robot people. Okay. Yeah. So, needless to say, this has made them very unpopular with the Commonwealth. Who are like the Institute are bad guys because they're murdering us and infiltrating our society with fake people. Right. Now, on top of that, the synths are essentially people. They are sentient. Mm-hmm. And because they need to be able to make their own decisions and adapt to situations, which means also occasionally go, um, I actually don't like being a slave. Right. I should leave. And so this is happening in droves. And they have no idea why this is happening because as Sean tells you, since are sentient, this is impossible. <laughs> what do you mean they're not sentient? You made them out of people. Yeah, but, you know, they're not real people, so they can't actually have free will. The Institute is stupid as hell. Yeah. Okay. And it's, like, it's crazy, though, like, because, like, their entire, like, base is, like, incredibly clean and, like, has, like, a fake sky, like, trees, and, like, they're growing, like, wonderful food and doing all this great stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, their whole, but their whole thing is, like, what if we just had fake people and we just made the entire Commonwealth, like, crazy? 
right of paranoia that'd be cool right okay yeah okay so yeah you learn about all this and they're like hey you should totally work with us and so this is where we get to our big decision points like do we work with the Minutemen because we pissed off everybody mm-hmm. do we work with the institute do we work with the people who are trying to free the synths called the railroad okay you don't get points for why they're called the railroad yeah okay or do you work with another faction which i don't know why it took this long for me to mention them good old brotherhood of steel oh right okay of course they're here yeah after you did like destroy kellogg and whatnot and like exit out of uh, the fort that he's hiding in a big old airship shows up, blaring out in a loudspeaker. We are the Brotherhood of Steel. We're here to liberate you. What? As heavily armed people basically fly out on vertebrates <laughs> to all the different like communities and whatnot. Is that what the Brotherhood of Steel does? Oh, yeah, because they're here to fight the Institute. Wait, liber- the Institute. liberate from who? The Institute and the Synth Menace. Okay. Yeah, they learned about the Institute, and they immediately went, we need to murder these assholes. Yeah. I mean, fair, sure. Mm-hmm. So you're probably wondering, boy, the Brotherhood, well, that's good. They were a pretty good organization of Fallout 3. I'm sure that's continued, right? Uh-huh. And you'd be wrong. Yeah, okay. So Elder Lyons, being old, died. Okay. And he was replaced by his daughter, Sarah Lyons. Sure. Who, you know, came back triumphantly and broken steel and was like, every, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Problem is, she had more of a I should be on the front lines, be a leader from the front sort of mentality. Okay. And so while fighting some super mutants, she died. Okay. Yeah. Kind of a problem. So I didn't mention this in Fallout 3, but in Fallout 3, one of the um, surviving members of the Maxton family was sent by the California branch of the Brotherhood Steel over to the DC version, mm-hmm. primarily so that he could be taught about the Brotherhood and whatnot, and also primarily because they are too busy getting their shit kicked in by the NCR. Right. And so, you know, you meet him as a little kid and whatnot, and it's like, that's kind of cool. Well, he is an adult now, and it turns out while he was a teenager and the Brotherhood was kind of disintegrating, mm-hmm. he took command, and he has a very old school Brotherhood sort of feel, which is we want all the technology. Right. You idiots don't get the technology. We hate anything that's not human, and but also with the dollop of, we kind of subjugated the entire capital of the wasteland, and we're also going to do the same here. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. Which, by the way, their attempt, well, I shouldn't say attempt, they were very successful mm. subjugation in taking over Project Purity and the capital of the wasteland did kind of cause a one Dr. Madison lead to kind of run away and join the Institute. So you get to like meet up with her again, which is great. Okay. That seems yeah. like a weird place for her to go, but okay. Well, her thing was like, I don't like where the Brotherhood's going. I'm going to leave. Also, they're going to murder me if I try to leave. So I'm going to go to the only people who I think can protect me. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, one of your missions, if you join up the Brotherhood Steel, is convincing her to leave and join back up with the Brotherhood. <laughs> and um, it's trivially easy to do. Ah. Well, I mean, the people she's with now are making robot people to replace the real people, so... Yeah, and she does kind of go, um, that seems kind of dickish. We also have all this technology that can help people, and now it's kind of always in my state of goal, so... Right. sure. So, yeah. So you basically are doing a bunch of missions to get things ready for the big, ultimate, stupid fight, whatever it's going to happen to be, whether it's the Institute going to ground and murdering all the different factions, except for the Minuteman, because who cares? Right. Uh, or like the railroad or the brotherhood like descending down into the institute and murdering them either by warping in if you're with the railroad mm. or by literally just blowing a hole below the cit and just okay walking in yeah which is p- 
pretty rad. Sure. Um, and like, you know, during this time, like you find out like some of your companions have become sense. They've been infiltrated and like, uh, you find out that, uh, Brotherhood is rebuilding Liberty Prime because, of course, they're going to bring that back. Yeah, of course. Although you at least get to fight it if you fight against the Brotherhood this time, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, needless to say, you eventually, let's say, decide to destroy the Brotherhood. Uh, not the Brotherhood, the uh, Institute. Uh-huh. And regardless of who you do it with. Um, and you go, you all warp on in, and you basically set the reactor down there to, like, overload and explode. Uh, you meet up with your now dying of cancer son, who's very angry with you. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, if you join the Institute and go down their path, you learn he's dying of cancer, and he designates you as the new father, which everybody's upset about because they're like, is this Rando? What? <laughs> <laughs> like, one person locks themselves in with the gorillas, and is like, we're not, we're not coming out. To, she's, she's not father anymore. <laughs> um. Yeah, but yeah, he's very, very angry because you're like, you were going to ruin everything. Right. You're going to ruin humanity's best chance of survival. And it's like, dude, they're doing just fine. Don't worry about it. There's an entire country on the West Coast, and they seem to have already solved fusion power again. It's good. Yeah. It's fine. And like during this time, you can also like give out like a, a signal to like have everybody in the Institute evacuate. You could also run into your 10-year-old Sith son and decide to be like, okay, I guess you're actually my son. Or like, what? hell no, you're a freak. You could die here. Oh, oh, right, because he's like a person. So, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I guess. Why not? Come with me and be my unaging 10-year-old son. Okay, yeah, that part's weird. Um, why yeah. did they, why did they make children sense? I don't know. That seems like acti- actually actively cruel to just mm-hmm. create a child who will never age. You know, it's a funny thing because there's a lot of people in the Institute who have the exact same thing, like <laughs> Dr. Lee, who's like, I have no idea why he decided to do this. It is creepy as hell. <laughs> also, why do base why do you base it on himself? Yeah, that seems weird. Also, mm-hmm. the gorillas. Yeah, I don't know gorillas. why the gorillas. The gorillas are just funny. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. The, gorilla, the gorillas are especially funny because if you do like um, give the order for the institute to evacuate, like you can unlock settlements with the Minutemen. Mm. And one of the missions you can get is, like, you basically, like, a bunch of Institute refugees want to create a settlement. Oh. And they bring along with them the gorillas. Okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> and it's like, hell yeah, man, I want gorillas. But yeah, either way, y'all evacuate. The CIT and the Institute explodes in a nuclear blast. And, um, yeah, that's basically it. Um, depending on the faction you do, you also have to destroy the Brotherhood's airship, the Pridwin, and kill Elder Maxton or infiltrate the railroad's underground base and, like, kill everybody in there. Um, if you're mm-hmm. the Minutemen, you don't have to do any of that. You're just purely 100% we're going to just murder everybody in the Institute. Everyone else is fine. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, like, the story of Fallout 4. And it's a story that, unfortunately, doesn't work in many ways because, like, yeah, you don't have to care about your son if you don't really do. Yeah. It also doesn't... It feels like they made, like, not a Fallout story. Mm -hmm. It feels like they made a weird, like, transhumanism, cyberpunk future story. Mm -hmm. And and then Bethesda said, but no, you're making Fallout 4 now. And they were like, okay, that's fine. This can also be Fallout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. It, It does definitely have that feel of being something very different. 
And like to give credit, they did set up the institute and like this potential storyline because in Fallout Three, there's a major quest line mm. that involves you finding an escape synth and learning about the institute. Uh huh. So like, and everybody like kind of speculated before Fallout Four was even announced that the next game was going to involve that, right? Because like eh, this seems a little, little foreshadowed. Yeah, it's a little on the nose. Yeah, yeah. Which it's kind of cool that they did that. Kind of, yeah. But, but at the same time, yeah, it's like. I think it could it could have worked if if it gave you a bigger reason to connect with your son. Yeah. After you find him again. Yeah. And also just had a better did a better job of having like a through line. Like you're unlocking these settlements and like doing all the settlement building so you can have like more resources to find Chon. Right. Or tie it in some way, right? Right. Or like these like or some of these side quests, which some of these side quests are like really, really bad. Like they're all like bespoke, unlike the New Vegas storylines, mm-hmm. where like if you help out the boomers, like it's all in service of eventually like recruiting them. Right. Whereas like, oh hey, you found this ghoul who's been trapped in his refrigerator for two hundred years because he played in refrigerator. He's a little ghoul child and he's never aged, but he's a ghoul child. He's going to reunite with his ghoul parents who are two hundred years old. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> also, how's this kid alive? Ghouls need to eat. This is established fact. <laughs> Like, it's weird stuff like that. And yeah. It's, and it's not to say that, like, every side quest has to be in service of, like, the main story or whatnot, but, like, none no, of them are. But it does go back to New Vegas and the fact that it was developed by Obsidian, who is veterans of Black Isle. And so if you mm-hmm. look at what is happening in Fallout 1, 2, and New Vegas, it's not a, like, straight-through linear trilogy. Like, mm-hmm. there's, it doesn't feel like there's anything specific planned out from start to finish, but it is a cohesive sort of vision for the world and the tone and the fiction. Mm-hmm. And then Fallout 3 and 4 are like, I don't know, the bombs fell. Mm-hmm. Now the future's weird. And also the past. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it has a lot of ideas that are interesting yeah the institute by itself is interesting yes the idea of being this fish out of water is interesting but then they just like even the institute to a lot of extent they don't do enough with like there's not really a whole lot of quests to like do with them like side quests right get to know the people there's to my count two that you can do before you have to hard commit with them right you know what kind of sucks about this fallout 4 story what? I think it would have worked a lot better if Nick was the protagonist. Ah, oh, damn, yeah. If it was like a detective story where you played as a a rogue synth or even just an unrelated synth, but then there suddenly cropped up this new synth-centric conspiracy about mm-hmm. synths are infiltrating people. And like, so if you had like... You know, there are synths in the settlements and in society, but they're just, like, robot people. But then now there's, like, this new generation of synth who is superhuman and also hyper-loyal to some directive. And no one knows where they're coming from, but they're infiltrating people. And you've got to go on this detective hunt to figure out what's going on and why all this is happening. Mm-hmm. And then, like, maybe you're somehow connected to the Institute. Yeah, like, that would be cool. And, like, I really did the companions in Fallout 4 a real disservice because they're uh-huh. all very, very interesting. They all have, like, really cool stories. Yeah. Um, and Nick is one in particular because, yeah, like, 
he's a synth who just kind of got discarded without his memories. Right. And he, like, the only thing he has is that he was, like, his mem like, the one memories he has are these old world memories of this old detective whose all same was Nick. Right. And, like, his whole thing is, like, reliving those memories and, like, kind of fishing up the old Nick story so he can have his own life. Right. And, like, so, like, you track down this, like, old gang member to kill him and whatnot. Like, it's really, really Nick cool. would have been such a better protagonist for this story. Yeah. Oh, my and, God. It's, honestly, it's very telling because there's, like, a DLC called Far Harbor that deals with, like, a synth that's similar to Nick. Mm -hmm. And Nick has a lot to say in it. Like, they clearly recognize that, oh, wait, Nick actually has a lot going on here. Right. Mm -hmm. he, he has a lot more connection and parallels to the story than, oh, I woke up. I got to find my baby. Mm -hmm. Got to find baby. Oh no, my baby's crazy and old. Oh no, old baby's old. I'm gonna go build settlements for Now, is this just hours. kind of Blade Runner? Yes, you're dealing with synthetic people. Congratulations, it's gonna be Blade Runner. And yeah, it's, it's kind of too late. I mean, the Coursers exist. They've already had that gun in there. Like, it's... It, it's they, they've already gone in on the Blade Runner. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it would have worked a lot better with that. And Should it's, this it's, have just been a Blade Runner game? Maybe. Eh. Would have said no, uh, but yeah, I I still love this game and I still love its all DLC, which are not really relevant to the plot. Right? There's one where you can become raiders, like oh. turn all the settlements into like raiding settlements, oh, and it okay. really makes everyone upset. You can also <laughs> just go to the go to the place where they're hanging out, which is this old um, amusement park, and just murder them all, which is usually what I do. Right? But it's still fun. Neat. Yeah. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of cool things in that game yeah. that no, my, exist. My uh, my impression of Fallout 4 is that from a design perspective, it is a vast improvement over Fallout 3. Mm -hmm. Um, and while it still doesn't acknowledge that New Vegas exists, even from a design perspective, mm -hmm. it is a genuine improvement on Bethesda's take on the franchise. It is. Although I say they definitely did take some cues from New Vegas mm. because there's four factions. Oh, right. Yeah. And they clearly want you to, like, go down one of them and whatnot. Whereas, you know, three is just like, it's brother, ride or die, brotherhood or steel. Right. Um, but yeah, no, like, as far as, like, pure story, yeah, they definitely don't. Like, other than, like, a vague mention of the NCR in one of Kellogg's dreams. Right. Uh, you get nothing. Which, I mean, to be fair, I guess you, nothing has to be everything NCR. Right. But, but yeah. Like it, yeah. It's a game that is fun in spite of itself. Yeah, it's a game that I love in spite of itself. Like even even like the settlement building technically is like the most cheeky thing. You have to do weird no click commands yeah. to like do what you want to do. Yeah, but that's also part of the reason why I love it because I just love breaking things. I mean, I yeah. I played the house building in Skyrim. I can imagine how they. <laughs> I assume that they extrapolated that into Fallout Four. I assume uh, that's where the settlement building comes from. It might actually be more from a New Vegas mod that's very, very similar. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, no, it's much better than the Skyrim house building, I'll say that much. Fair. The, the very nothing house Yeah, building. the lowest bar to clear, but still. Yeah, tell me about it. We're going to release this as $20 DLC. Um, I'm going to download a mod that does it better. <laughs> yep. And I'm going to still buy it three times. Yeah. I'm a mark for Skyrim in the test of games. <laughs> so, is the, so is all of video games, apparently. Because it yeah. keeps selling. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, do what the fans want, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, that's Fallout 4. Now, we're not going to talk about Fallout 76, the 
game where they decide to take the creation engine slash Gamebryo and said, what if we made this online? And right. we're not sh- unsurprisingly caught on fire. Yeah. Um, the answer is you get all the jank of a custom asset placer with all the jank of an online game combined. Mm-hmm. And it dies. Yeah, exactly. Curls in on itself and dies. It does. And while there's some aspects of it that I'm really interested, not shockingly, mm. the settlement building, mm-hmm. uh, the, as far as the story goes, there's not really much to it. Uh, it takes place relatively shortly after the bombs fall. I think something like 30 years or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Which is... Yeah. Which makes more sense as far as like why things are like really messed up. Well, okay, uh, except the problem is that they're not. Hmm. I, like, it's, Okay, so here's the actual problem, is Fallout 3 exists. Yeah. So Fallout 76 oh, is yeah. in North, North Virginia, and Fallout 3 mm-hmm. is in Washington, D.C. So very pretty close to each other. As far as, like, nuclear fallout patterns go, should hmm. be basically the same climate. Fallout 3 says that 200 years later, the... Capital Wasteland is an absolute hellhole where nothing can live. Fallout 76 says 30 years later, there is lush North Virginia vegetation just everywhere. To be fair, who's going to nuke West Virginia? But the problem is that D.C. got nuked. So West Virginia should get that same fallout. Maybe their nukes that (laughs) blew up to the east. Like they're they too up in a direction to put all the dust eastward in the ocean. No. <laughs> oh god, that okay. Real quick, going back to Fallout Four, there's a side quest where mm. you can find a nuclear sub. That's a Chinese nuclear sub. Okay, sure. And a dude just wants to get home, and you're like, okay, cool. He's like, the war is over. I just want to get home. And that's cool, right? And the reward you can get from him is like, hey, by the way, I still have nuclear missiles. If you want me to nuke your country, I can. <laughs> dude what's wrong with you they keep making these quests where it's like hey do you want to do the evil thing for no reason (laughs) which okay to be really fair the original fallout games also let you do that i guess so yes yes they did so fine but so i had to point that out because it just reminded me yeah yeah that's pretty good (laughs) but yeah like yeah no 76 um yeah 76 has a setting problem and as far as its plot is concerned, uh, they really have only started to get into the meat of it. Like, they've reintroduced the Enclave. Right. Also, the Brotherhood of Steel is there for some reason. <sighs> which um, seems early, personally. But Please, You need to give anyone else power armor. You mm-hmm. need to give any other faction, make a new faction with power armor. Because the problem is, the power armor of, in Fallout is iconic. It is literally on the box of... Every Fallout except I think the first one. It's on the first one too. Is it yeah, one of them has like a weird bug armor? Oh, that is power armor. That's two. Okay. But so that in 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 the in the intro of the first one, there's a dude standing there in the power armor as Ron Perlman makes his speech. And mm-hmm. everyone wants access to the power armor in fallout and with good reason it makes perfect Mm -hmm. sense the problem is that in fallout one the people who had the power armor were the brotherhood of steel 
And somehow Mm -hmm. that became a hard requirement that if you want power armor, you need to have the Brotherhood of Steel. And now the Mm -hmm. Brotherhood needs to get shoehorned into every Fallout game. And it sucks. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And it's kind of funny because, like, if you really think about it, like, one through – like, they're important in one. Mm -hmm. They're kind of important in two. They're not important in New Vegas. Like, their importance has been slowly waning on the West Coast. Whereas it has just been 100% all in in the Bethesda game. Right. Which, once again, it makes sense for what they're doing from a, like, a pragmatic, this is what sell standpoint. Right. But it's also like, okay, all right, cool. Yeah, no, of course they're in West Virginia. Right. But the, people don't want the Brotherhood of Steel. They want the power armor. Give it to anybody else. What do you mean? Everybody's into techno-fascist. <sighs> You can make other techno-fascists. Yes, you can. <laughs> In fact, technically they literally did. They're called the Enclave. Yeah. Why doesn't the Enclave have power armors? Oh, yeah. They're the descendants of the government who made the power armors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But yeah, we're not... Well, I guess we talked... Uh, more about Fallout uh, 76 than I expected, but we're not going to dive any yeah. deeper into Fallout 76. But the, otherwise, that's kind of where we stand in the Fallout. There's undoubtedly going to be another one, although given that they're working on Starfield and then they got Elder Scrolls 6, six yeah. next, uh, unless they decide to get Obsidian another crack at this. Well, I mean... They're, they're all they're both under yep, Microsoft both. now. As is, by the way, the studio that would go on to make what was it, Wasteland Two, Wasteland Three, to mm-hmm. revive the Wasteland series. Yeah. So all of that's all. all that's under Microsoft now. So they they can do whatever to Fallout now. Yeah, and it feels like we're probably gonna get a Fallout in within the next five years, as opposed to within the next ten. Would, like, yeah. Who the who the heck knows? Yeah. Right? At the yeah at this point. What is Microsoft going to do with all their stuff now? Nobody knows. That's actually a great question. What the hell are they going to do with all their stuff? I, have, I don't know, man. Oof. Yeah, that's ain't great. Ain't great. But Alex, how are you feeling? I don't know. Fallout is wild, yeah. man. Yeah, it is. It's, it's wild. I love the series to death. Yeah, it's... But it's a mess. It it really has its own personality, which is why it's lasted this long. But man, oh yeah, says it all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I I would really love if the city and made another Fallout game. When Fallout seventy six was announced, they had that countdown going, mm-hmm. and we didn't know it was an online game. I was like, oh, I wonder if Obsidian's going to get another crack at this. No. What are they going to do? And I was wrong. Well, okay, so. <laughs> The reason why prior to being acquired by Microsoft Obsidian was never going to do another Fallout game is because the last time that they made a Fallout game, Bethesda tried to bully them out of business so they could acquire their company. Ah, well, I mean, that's a bit of a problem, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Could kind of put a damper on things. <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> still hoped yeah you know it's hope springs eternal i guess i hoped for anything other than 76 so yeah yeah no that's 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 something worth hoping for yeah but who knows maybe we'll get something like that in the future but i think that's gonna kind of do it for us today uh alex thank you so much for joining us as always yeah i do really appreciate it of course thank you for having me who the us is considering it's just us but well yeah you know 
the, the, the people at home, the listeners. There we go. There we go. Everybody, this is what happens when you've been recording for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> the brain gets weird. Yep. But yeah, if y'all follow like content like this, remember uh, our podcast is at ftp.podbean.com. And you can find us on pretty much any podcast aggregator or like Apple podcast at Fallen Through Potholes or FTP. And of course, if you do like this podcast, please tell everybody about it that you know. Give us a rating on Apple. That actually really does help immensely. Uh, you would not really think it would actually drop in a review, but it does. Even just giving a star review, put it five stars, four stars, three stars, whatever, whatever you feel like. <laughs> uh, anything helps. It really does. And uh, this will undoubtedly be a two-parter, so we'll expect two episodes when this comes out, and uh, we'll see you all next time. But they know that by this point. Uh, they probably do. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Bye.